This is the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast, episode 174. I'm Joel Hollingsworth. As always, I'm here with Will Shelton. Um, let me just uh, set the table here. Um, we're recording this Monday night, January 18th, 2021, just for the sake of posterity. Uh, this afternoon, Tennessee terminated uh, inside linebackers coach and you know recruiter of the year um, a couple of years ago. Uh, Brian Niedermeyer and outside linebackers coach Shelton Felton, plus a handful of unnamed football recruiting and support staff. They terminated all of them for cause, saying that an investigation had revealed what they called multiple level one and level two recruiting violations. Uh, They also terminated head coach Jeremy Pruitt, basically for negligent oversight because he was the dude in charge and it was his responsibility. Um, His termination was also for cause. So Tennessee's taking the position that he's owed no buyout. Um, Since then, uh, his attorney is disputing that. So we can talk about that in a little bit, but uh, uh, let's see. At the same time, uh, athletic director, Philip Fulmer, has announced that he's going to retire um, because he wants the new athletic director to hire the new head coach so the new head coach doesn't have to deal with a new AD that didn't hire him. So that's where we are. Um, Some stuff happened today. (laughs) And uh, that's why we're recording on Monday night when we were going to take the week off, you know, but hey, here we we are. So, Will... um, I know you've already written about this, so uh, let's talk about what you've already written and kind of toss in, you know, what what is your dominant uh, emotion here and then what are uh, all the others? Because I'm sure there's not just one. Yeah, I think the the dominant emotion um, all day for me has been sadness and not... um, not sadness specifically as it relates to Jeremy Pruitt. And, you know, I've, I've never met Jeremy Pruitt in person. I don't, I don't know. He may be a terrific human being outside of what he is or isn't as a football coach. Maybe he's not, I have no idea, but it's not so much a sadness of this particular guy, this particular coach losing his job and, and not even so much um, uh, Fulmer now stepping away again in an official capacity or anything like that, but, I think compared to the way I felt and all the other changes, the the first one, when Fulmer was fired as a coach, that was sad. Yeah. Uh, I think that was sad for everybody, even among folks that wanted that outcome. I, that was sad. Um, Kiffin was anger, right? No doubt. Um, I think Dooley at the end, there wasn't much to feel, right? I mean, like that just, that was the outcome. There, there wasn't any... I, didn't, I don't recall a lot of arguing that he should have gotten year four. He didn't beat a ranked team. So, like, there just wasn't – worked through a lot of those duly feelings the year before. Um, so I don't recall a lot of a lot of emotion with that other than just, all right, yep, that didn't work. Let's, let's go on to the next one. Um, Butch Jones, just so much frustration, I think, was the primary thing. With, with being close and not getting it done and that carrying on into the 2017 season where they just – you know, fell apart and were so bad. So that was frustrating. And that carried into a frustrating uh, Sunday and a frustrating coaching search today. Just feel sad because primarily sad because 
I said in the middle of that that business the last time after they had after Shiano, uh, we all decided that was not the best course of action. And when John Curry got on a plane to go get Mike Leach, and they called him back and all of that stuff, I remember saying in that moment, like, "Hey, we we're, Tennessee's vulnerable here in a way that we've never been in my lifetime, because now this could go bad in a way that you might not get it back." And that only lasted a couple hours. Fulmer was named athletic director that same day, and you you got a search that went in that direction. Now, um, Tennessee is vulnerable in a way they haven't been in my lifetime, and that ain't getting fixed today or tomorrow um, yeah. or next week. And there's just a lot we still don't know here. Uh, Penalty-wise, NCAA-wise, current members of the roster, who I am sad for, yep. um, who, who, you know, just went through getting tested three times a week and all this other mm. crap that they had to put up with in, in a lousy year. Uh, now, you know, incoming freshmen, all that stuff. I don't know what's going to happen with that. We don't know. And I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot. Who, who will say yes to this job? What are they saying? Yes to what kind of probation? Who's the athlete? There are so many things we don't know. So Tennessee is, I mean, Tennessee is vulnerable as a program now in ways that they have never been, which is to say, you get, still got a chance here to get this right. I, I would hope that the decision makers today are made some decisions because they believe this course of action would help us get right, get healthy. Um, but this can go wrong in a number of different ways now where uh, you, you, who Tennessee is as a program, who Tennessee, the, the Tennessee we all wanna get back to being the notion that that can happen, um, th that's all vulnerable right now. And that that just makes me sad um, more than anything. Um, and and I think just uh, part of that and part of what I wrote today about being in exile, uh, this year is sad just in general, right? It's a sad year for planet Earth <laughs> and the human race or however you want to think of that. And so... Uh, at least for me, part of being acquainted with that sadness has not been to say, oh, sports don't matter um, or anything like that. If anything, I love, I, I appreciate sports more and I appreciate my teams more this year, especially again, because these guys are playing and taking tests and doing all these things. Um, but I'm also more acquainted with sadness this year. And I think that makes it easier for me anyway, just to name it and say, uh, yeah, we're in trouble. Um, and... Uh, we've been in the wilderness for a long time, but like we wrote after Arkansas, even more so today, this is probably exile now. And um, we're, we're going to be here for a, a, a bit. And I don't know how long that's going to be. And best thing we can do about that is be honest about it and name it. And whoever Tennessee hires uh, is, is going to need patience in a way that we've probably talked about, you know, right? Like with Butch mm -hmm. Jones or with Derek Dooley. But that kind of patience we meant like, you know, two recruiting classes and then we better beat Florida. Uh, this will be a different kind of patience. And I think you may see that in the kind of hire that they make or the kind of hires that are available. Some of these names we're going to talk about will be guys that rebuilt scorched earth situations. And that may be the kind of situation that we're in. It may not be. I, we'll, we'll see. But um, uh, sad today uh, and, and I think a need to be honest and a need um, 
hard as it is and as hard as it is as human beings this year, uh, you, you can't, patience is the best play in exile. Uh, and I think let's, let's continue to see what options are out there for Tennessee. And as fans, we need to be patient with each other. We need to be patient with wherever this is going. Cause there's nothing fast, nothing good is happening fast from here. Um, to me, is that, uh, Joel, is that about where you're at this evening? Pretty much a couple of things on that. You know, patience is kind of a, it's weird because it's, it's a big ask for uh, Tennessee fans right now. I mean, we, we, we've been asked to be patient for a long time on the flip side of that is we're well practiced. Um, you know, we got some practice at it. So, you know, just going to do some more reps here, get stronger even. Um, but for me, yeah, I mean, it, it was sad. It was sad to watch it. You know, the last time I remember seeing, uh, you know, I mean, Fulmer at his uh, 2008 press conference, it looked like that again. It's like dudes going out on two of these things and, that's just terrible. And, but the other thing is, you know, I'm, I'm really battling, um, apathy, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard because man, I mean, how long is a, I don't watch boxing, but is that 12 rounds or 15 rounds? What is that? I think it's 12 these days. Cause okay. 15 we've decided is not fit for any human being to withstand. Okay. All right. The so, Rocky movies are 15 rounds, you know, Stallone can take, 15 oh, right. with yeah. the Russian, but we decided that was too much for a regular human being. <laughs> well, I'm finding it's like it, Rocky eight, the one you did Rocky five, the one you don't want to watch. Pretend it doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, we're in year 13. So, uh, I don't like 15 round fights either. I mean, you know, it's weird. You, you get, you get tired, you know? And so, you know, boxing is like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a test of endurance, right? So, you know, a, a, slap in the 15th round could put you down and this was a first round knockout punch in the 15th round you know it was it was it was bad you know so that's the ongoing battle is you know how do i how do i stay engaged especially when you're asking me to be patient again um i've done that you know so but it's a battle and it's a battle we can win um, so, you know, we, we must endeavor, uh, to do that. Right. Um, I, I think too, one point about patience, which is very well made on your part that we've been asked to do this before. Um, this is going to be a different, I, I think, I think this is going to be a different kind of exercise. It's like doing one kind of training and then switching up and doing, you know, entirely something different. Like, I don't know that Kiffin really asked us to be patient. Um, and, and then a lot of these guys, Kiffin and Butch Jones in particular, did such a good job with recruiting right away that it was like, you didn't have to be, you know, um, I, I'm, I don't recall. It's been, it's been four or five coaches ago. I don't recall a lot of like, Oh, be patient with Lane Kiffin because in part we just assumed rightfully so that Tennessee would be better in, in Kiffin's first year than they were in Fulmer's last year which was so unbearable. Uh, we made it five minutes of this podcast before I found a way to blame Dave Clawson for this whole mess. <laughs> so the only way this comes back around is that they're like, who will take this job? Oh, that Clawson guy at Wake Forest. What about him? So that'll be the end of me if, uh, if, they, if Tennessee <laughs> hires that guy. But um, anyway, I don't, uh, I don't recall being asked that. And then with Dooley, because of how Kiffin left, I think it, it immediately endeared most of us to Dooley because he wasn't Kiffin. 
And we knew, I think that was the first time that we were like, okay, this is going to take a minute to get figured out. Like we're not going to be very good in Dooley's first year. Um, but at that point, Tennessee was still just three years away from Atlanta. Uh, you know, so Dooley, we were asked to be patient. Then Bray got hurt and we had to be a little more patient. Kind of the rabbit was already out of the hat at that point. And then Butch, I think everybody kind of understood, okay, again, we're going to need to be patient. But to his credit, Butch did a great job with that initial, the first two recruiting classes, which were heavily influenced by in-state kids, which Tennessee is also looking at as a big deal. The, the high school class, I'm not the recruiting expert by any means, but Tennessee's got a monster high school class for 2022, including a quarterback, Ty Simpson, that if they signed would be the highest rated quarterback Tennessee had signed since Casey Clawson. So um, there's that impetus to get those guys, get those kids in next year's recruiting class that um, I don't know if the new guy's going to come in and be able to do, but in all those cases, it felt like uh, we don't, yeah, we need to be patient, but there's going to be some payoff right away. And then with Pruitt, kind of similar to Kiffin, Butch's last year was so bad that you kind of at least figured it's going to be better. And it, it was, it didn't end great, but we beat Auburn and we beat Kentucky. And, and so you kind of got some reward to make you believe right away that maybe I don't have to be as patient as long. If, if Tennessee ends up hiring or having to hire one of the guys, uh, whether that's Bill O'Brien, who was at Penn state after uh, Paterno uh, or Bill Clark, who was at UAB after they canceled the football program, and I, I was going to attempt to try to say that with a straight face, but I, because it needs to be merited that like that might be a guy that Tennessee goes after because he did a, he's doing a great job rebuilding a program from no program. And that's kind of, you know, those are the waters that Tennessee might be treading in right now yeah. that if, if those are the hires, then that would signify to me where we're being asked for, you know, th this is marathon kind of patience yeah um and i think if that comes with bowl bands and that sort of thing it kind of hopefully helps to do that anyway but to me it's just you know we're, now we're playing the long game now yeah. um and maybe we should have always been playing the long game but when you were as good as tennessee was uh 13 years ago and, and before then for a while anyway you're not wrong to say somebody else can come in here and turn this around right away. But now I think, I think this page, this is the long, this is exile. This is the long patience. I think now that we're being asked for, it feels like yeah. we've, you know, we were training for the, the 5k and now we're training for a marathon. If that makes sense. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get to uh, coaching candidates um, here in a minute, but I wanted to step on something else first. Uh, and also, by the way, if anybody's wondering, I, so I like how you tied this into the, the pandemic and all the stuff that's happened uh, this year. Uh, we, we've been learning a lot like through this, you know, and uh, part of what I've been doing is I, I've been with, with all the stuff, especially the stuff that happened in the last like week and a half or two weeks. And who knows what might happen uh, Wednesday, whatever, you know, um, I, I've been I've been looking for you know, some other perspective, some other stuff to look at, other stuff to read, you know, and I, I found this dude named Brant Hansen. Have you, do you know this guy's name? Have you ever heard of that? I don't. He's a, he's like a, 
I guess he's a disc jockey at a at a Christian music station. But he but he has like he's written some books and stuff. And I'm reading this book by him called Unoffendable. And I'm not going to go into um, what all it is. But if anybody is wanting to know why uh, it's uh, why um, patience uh, is is happier, <laughs> um, he makes a good case for that. So Unoffendable Brant Hansen. He's also on YouTube. He's an interesting dude. So, um, on the, the press conference today, um, I, I'm going to ask you this, but I, I have my answer first. Uh, the questions that you wished were asked, but weren't asked. So for me, um, I wanted somebody to ask who besides the search firm and the university executive leadership, who else has input into the hiring of the athletic director and the head coach and you know and how how much influence do they have i want to know that and i'm sure we're not going to actually get an answer and they'll probably say well we answered that by saying you know i'm going to make that decision and i might ask some people i trust but who who are you trusting and why <laughs> you know let's do some follow-ups let's do some digging i want answer to this question and and the funny thing is you know the, the behind that question is all this uh I hesitate to call it conspiracy theory because I think it, it's, you know, that makes it sound like there's nothing to it. And I'm not sure that there's nothing to it. Um, but uh, some of the major donors um, and, you know, they, they even said, you know, Peyton Manning, I, there was a report that he was going to have uh, some influence. And, and when you say that, it's like, well, sure, I trust him, you know, um, but who else and why? Um, and I don't think we're going to get the answer, but I wanted, I, I wanted to hear that, uh, that question at least asked, was there anything, what, what do you think about that question? Number one. And then was there anything that you wanted, uh, asked that you didn't get an answer to? Yeah, it's a, it's a super important question. Um, I think it needs to be asked at the press conference when they're introducing the new athletic director. I think that yeah. that. Uh, you know, this person, uh, if it's somebody that's that's completely outside of the realm of Tennessee, somebody that we don't have any experience with and we're just kind of meeting them for the first time, then we may not be able to take anything really relevant from it. But that sense of is this person the, the bigger narrative around Tennessee fans a lot of times is about the Haslam's it's about you know Fulmer, the Fulmer now is certainly. Uh, this went the other way for him as opposed to the last search in terms of his influence on things. Um, Tennessee at the moment is, is pursuing the idea that they're not going to have to pay a buyout. So they may not be as beholden to booster dollars and booster influence in the decision-making process that comes with writing those kinds of checks and that sort of thing. So we'll see. Uh, but I, yeah, I think it's an incredibly valid question. I think Manning's name is one that we all feel good about. Uh, is certainly being involved. Uh, I, I do, uh, you just assume with Manning's names, it's going to be NFL guys too, that are more connected there. Um, just because that's, that's the, the life Peyton Manning has been living even in retirement now for five years or whatever it's been, he's stayed on an NFL kind of level doing his show and, and that sort of thing. So, um, uh, and I would just, I would caution to, uh, and I say this uh, to anyone, I say it to the younger version of myself as much as I would say it to anyone. Uh, just because someone loves Tennessee does not automatically make them the best whatever. 
uh, it frustrates me sometimes to see folks who want to really, really push hard. And it is no offense to Jamie Chadwell or, or anybody, but really want to push hard for Jamie Chadwell because his, his son's name is Heath, which is admittedly awesome. That's great. Yeah. Um, or, or Peyton Manning. And then at the same time, want to fire Philip Fulmer who, you know, probably cares more about Tennessee than, than certainly you or I or anybody else. So um, fantasy is always better than reality. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's a good question. I, I want to ask, I want to hear that question when the athletic director is being introduced. Uh, we've seen it go a lot of different ways. Uh, John Curry was, that was a, you know, one man operation, uh, really. And, and that, uh, did not go well for anyone involved. <laughs> uh, not only did he misread the room about the Shiano hire, but then he went rogue, um, and it cost him everything at, at Tennessee. It cost him everything. So we've seen that approach not work. Uh, Dave Hart, based on reporting, was really good at getting right to the finish line with Charlie Strong uh, or Mike White, uh, perhaps, in basketball, but couldn't get across the finish line with those guys. And constantly, if you remember, we had to feel like we conversations on, on Rocky top talk of like, I, why do I feel like I could sell this job better than the athletic director? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that, that was an issue there. Um, we, you know, we, we don't even go back to Mike Hamilton and all those things. So there's different ways of doing it. And, and not a lot of them have worked, worked out well here for Tennessee, but yeah, that's a good question. I want to hear, I want to hear a new athletic director respond to that. It certainly needs to be a more open process than John Curry's coaching search was. There just need to be good ways of kind of reading the room before you uh, try to hire someone that's going to seem toxic. But uh, I'll say this too, if we're getting into who's going to say yes to this job, it felt like last time Tennessee fans, we had this idea that we could still pursue the sexy hires. Um, Gundy, uh, Jeff Brom, those kinds of guys in Tennessee did pursue those guys. Uh, this time, uh, not a lot of sex appeal going to happen in this thing, no. I believe. So, um, yeah. just one, I think a follow up question would be um, that uh, if there is like a major, if they actually came out and, and admitted that a major donor, um, had influence over the coaching hire. I would ask why, why is his opinion more valid than the average fan? Is there, is there a reason for that? <laughs> I think I would appreciate the honesty if they were like, yeah, money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why Well, he runs the pilot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I can get that. I can, I can appreciate, I, I've said this going all the way back to Bruce Pearl's, uh, firing that like hey man i, I don't I, I think most Tennessee fans don't live in the fantasy world where you know this is not democracy we're, we're not polling the fans if we had peyton manning would have been the coach five times by now like we, you know right. we're not it's not it's not a twitter poll but just don't you know don't treat me like i'm an idiot don't don't um one of those guys i can't even remember there's there's so many like pseudo villains in these administrative stories over so many years like there was a quote in the pearl firing and the board of trustees it was like they just need to trust that we have better information than them and i was like dude that i hope that's true i hope you have better information than me but don't say that to my face like <laughs> yeah. like 
communicate better. Be, let's be better about this. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I'll be curious to, to hear how that goes. If there are, um, cause this happened last time too. I, you know, I, I'm, I would stand by what I wrote about Greg Schiano and wouldn't change any of that. As that thing dragged on, we also communicated and I wrote some things to communicate like, Hey, you need to hire hope. If we're going after Dave Doran in North Carolina state, we already kind of know who he is and wouldn't it be more meaningful for Tennessee to hire someone that, that has a higher perceived ceiling. Um, this time, it's, it's not that we're at a point of like anybody that will take this job can have it. Cause I think, you know, what your floor, I think your floor is Kevin Steele, right? Like in a, in a worst case scenario, the head coach at Tennessee in 2021 is Kevin Steele yeah. who uh, was almost the head coach at Auburn. So that's gotta be worth something. Uh, not really, but anyway, <laughs> like you, you at least know that's your floor. We're not going to be hiring you know, Gary Rankin or, you know, whoever at Alcoa High School or Maryville or wherever. Um, but uh, I think the, uh, they've been, to me, I have really appreciated the way that they have, and uh, they did it today. Randy Boyd did it today. The way they've made it clear, they're not going to hire Hugh Freeze as clear as they can without saying, yeah, we're not going to hire Hugh Freeze. I think that helps uh, fans move in a direction away from him and once you get away from him i don't think there's um I, in the list of names that are being talking about I, I don't think there's such an obvious oh no not him kind of situation hire this other guy instead that would cause the kind of ruckus and things like that that, that um happened a little bit here even after shiano uh three years ago yeah. so um so you said before uh, before we started uh, recording that one of the questions that you uh, wanted answered was, you know, what do we know about uh, self-imposition of penalties? You know, are we talking about bowl ban? Are we talking about player ineligibility? Um, you know, what are we talking about? That, and that's a great, uh, great question. Players want to know that. Any candidates are going to want to know that. Um, so – you know that I think that's an excellent question that somebody's going to af have to ask at some point. Um, if you want to add to that, we can, or we can just go ahead and start talking about coaches since we can't uh, seem to uh, uh, avoid it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, no, I, I think that's, and the answer to that question today may have just been, "Hey, we don't know yet because the investigation's still ongoing." Yeah. But yes. Um, at some point, given the what appears to be the gravity of the situation, I would assume Tennessee is going to self-impose some penalties in addition to having fired the parties responsible. So yeah. what are those penalties? Is it three scholarships? Is it five scholarships and a one-year bowl ban? Is it a two-year, you know, like what, what are we thinking from that perspective? That's something that the new person uh, should, should come in and know. I think earlier uh, I read this and I'm, I'm trying to go back and we're taping this. At, this is nine twelve on Monday night. So I'm also reading a lot of things in the background. This thing continues to unfold. Um, but um, uh, Bill O'Brien, when he signed on at Penn state after all that mess, uh, I believe had a coach in his, or had a, had a clause in his coaching contract that, um, 
that Link is no longer active. But there, a clause in his contract that said, uh, if we're put on X years of probation, automatically on the front end, those years are added to my deal. So essentially saying, you know, if we're put on two years probation, then if I, if I agree to be the coach at Tennessee before that's known, which certainly should happen before the NCAA comes in and says, this is what's going to happen to you. I'm signing a contract to say, I will be the coach here. These are the self-imposed things we're talking about. But if the NCAA comes in and adds more, which were not my fault, not my responsibility, if the NCAA's response is worse than you think it's going to be, then let me protect myself in this contract up front from that and say, if they add an extra year of probation, automatically an extra year is added. That's what they did based on my reading with Bill O'Brien when he signed it at Penn State. So there are creative kinds of ways to deal with something like that um, for a coach that might be interested in Tennessee, but is, is certainly would have to take the job before they knew what the NCAA ultimately would decide to do with the program. Yeah, just a little uh, cynic in me uh, wants to point out that uh, it's it just boggles my mind that uh, somebody can do something wrong, um, and a lot of times they'll get paid for it. Now, I know these guys are getting fired for cause, but uh, Jeremy Pruitt and his lawyer are also arguing the case. Um, and what you do is you punish the people who didn't do anything wrong. Um, you punish basically the, the program who, you know, maybe they would, should have known about it, but that's, that should be its own culpability. You know, you should have a separate finding of culpability on the person that you are punishing. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's the players that suffer. Uh, they didn't do anything wrong. Um, you know, later on they'll you know if they find out way later they'll 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 you know make you give up your wins which is ridiculous you know i got got a whole set of problems with the way that these punishments are are delved or are uh doled out although i will also say you know being a lawyer there's a thing called respondeat superior and you know, the employer is generally held responsible for employees' actions that are within the scope of employment. But, you know, the argument to that as an employment attorney is that, uh, you know, it was outside the scope of employment. You know, we didn't hire him for that. So anyway, sorry, little soapbox there. Soapbox. No, I, and I think a lot of folks are pointing out um, we would be naive at this point to just assume everything is always as it appears, especially with Tennessee. So, uh, you know, Tennessee, this is the second time that a high-profile coach at Tennessee has taken the – or has been forced to take the we throw ourselves on the mercy of the NCAA court situation. Bruce Pearl got caught in a lie, confessed, right, came back. Now it was a dumb lie. Do you know who it is in this photo? Oh, it's yeah. an assistant coach's wife. No, I'm, you know, like it's a stupid lie, <laughs> as, as lies are wont to be. But um, – he came clean on that, and he got a three-year show cause for for confessing, which which is the right thing to do, right? You know? So that's that's already happened once. Yeah. Um, now, but the guys today, who deny it the whole time, since you can't prove it, you know, they just they don't they don't get punished as much. Well, again, like they got Will Wade on tape. He's on tape <laughs> at LSU. Yeah, but he's denying and, it. And they're like a like a four seed in the bracket matrix. 
Like they just keep going on. So now I understand Will Wade has, has won more games at LSU than Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee by a lot. But um, I, I think I'm sure the conversation was had at some level, even if it's not what made the chancellor agree to pull the trigger. The conversation was made at some level of, hey, we think we can get this guy for the reduced buyout. Yeah. And that, you know, is, is part of this direction. But, yeah, this is the second time, you know, Tennessee is has has willingly kind of uh, at least semi-aggressively pursued issues that invite the NCAA to your campus. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was... We'll see how it how it works out this time. Yeah, uh, the throwing ourselves on the mercy of the NCAA. So as far as uh, getting out of the buyout for Pruitt, let me just save everybody the drama. Uh, <laughs> everybody's gonna fuss and fight and rattle their swords and rattle cages, and it's gonna be settled. Okay, he's gonna get something. Um, since it's a public university, it's probably gonna be a public record. It can't be uh, subject to a non-disclosure agreement, but um, it'll be settled. So. Let's just we'll just jump to the end on that one. Uh, so um, we have a list of candidates, but before we get to the list of candidates, I wanted to look back at our uh, 2017 Vols coaching search board. Not because uh, these guys are candidates this time around, but I wanted you know we did this on a podcast a couple of uh, episodes ago where we went through and said, hey, look, these were the guys that we were looking at or you know fans wanted, right? And so which ones of these were we wrong about wanting and which ones were we right about wanting? And then I want to see, okay, the ones that we were right about, what are the qualities and characteristics that those guys have? And then take that and look at our current list of candidates to see, you know, whether there's anybody like that. And then also whether anybody like that would be interested, which are lots of different questions. So, there's a bunch of these guys, so let's just go through them quick, and we'll just label them uh, hits or uh, misses. What have they done since 2017? Uh, so, uh, John Gruden is on the list for some reason. I, you know, I don't know whether he was. He might have been a viable candidate. I don't know, and I don't know what he's done since then. He's I, probably nothing. Am I right? Is he a miss? He's, he's, with, he's with the Raiders, uh, so we at least don't have to talk about him this time. Uh, they missed the playoffs by a game. It was a really good year in the AFC, so he had a really good record uh, to uh, make the playoffs. And uh, he, after a bumpy – see, I got Dave Clawson. We got Gruden. We're checking all the boxes in this podcast here. <laughs> Uh, he was eight and eight, four and twelve with the Raiders in eighteen, seven and nine last year, eight and eight this year. So he's uh, he's not winning Super Bowls. He's not making anybody say, "Oh, we should have paid him fifteen million a year to be the coach here," or whatever was being thrown about. Uh, last okay, time. I, I'm going to put him in a miss. I, I know the NFL records are different, but uh, five hundred, nah, no thanks. Um, Scott Frost. Um, I know he was really struggling. I'm not sure exactly how he finished, uh, but he's he's had a rough time in Nebraska. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's a miss at this point. What do you think? Agreed. Uh, this is why I'm not offering any suggestion this time because man, I would have hired that dude last time. And um, yeah, four and eight, five and seven, three and five this year. Um, 
And and just he's uh, Harbaugh is not in that seventeen cycle, but he's a lot like Harbaugh, where you're like at Michigan, where you're like, why doesn't this work? Yeah. And and Harbaugh, this is a separate podcast, but you know Harbaugh, is, they're talking about a new deal at, at a very different kind of contract with a reduced buy. I thought it was very smart to, on Michigan's part and Harbaugh's part to say, hey, we want to keep doing this, but not with these insane buyout numbers that are you know going to handicap us in the future. So. Um, yeah, but Frost Frost is um, – I don't know why that's not working out there. All right, Dan Mullen, that's a definite hit, right? Yes, unless he, he likes flirting with the NFL. So. Uh, Still, yeah. I mean, we'll take one, even one season that he he did, wouldn't we, at this point? Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shiano, um, he had some success at uh, Rutgers. Um, he's, you know, he's not going to happen here, right? I mean, that, that bridge is – I burned, so. toast, you know, nuke, nuked. So, yeah, then it, that is not happening regardless. But, you know, I mean, was he – we didn't like him for, you know, different reasons. Um, but what about his co- – <clears throat> see, I can't, you can't even talk see, about it. I get choked up. <laughs> okay. All right. Um so, he he did well, right? Can we put him in the in the category of guys that you know at least meet criteria of somebody we want or no? I, I mean, he was three and six at Rutgers this year. So, uh, is that well for Rutgers? Okay. Uh, no, th- let me just say, never mind to what I was saying because I was just remembering one of his wins apparently. So three and six. Okay, he's a miss. All right, thank you, thank you for uh, reading while I'm just like. Making stuff up on air. (laughs) All right. uh, Gary Patterson. uh, Also not so good over the past couple of years, right? Yeah. Gary Patterson is one you wonder about if um, not that things have, have like passed him by so much as that he's been at TCU for 20 years. He might be the longest tenured. I don't know who that would be now. He came to TCU in 2000. I don't know who is is has been at a school longer. Bill Snyder's not at Kansas State, so I don't know who has been somewhere longer. Uh, but the last uh, they seven. were eleven and three in twenty seventeen, and then seven and six, five and seven, six and four. So um, not what it once was at TCU. We we yeah, we would not be happy with that here, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, Saban's been at Alabama for forever, by the way. So he's the longest tenured. Cause, cause it seems like forever. Okay. Sorry. Forever. Bad joke. Uh, Mike Norval, um, terrible at, uh, FSU. Right. So miss, yeah, I would wonder about, you know, how much of that is his fault. Um, because he, you know, he stayed at Memphis and was, uh, 12 and one, uh, at, at Memphis in 19 and then inherited a mess in Tallahassee three and six this year. But I, I would, uh, you know, I would say overall, I think the jury's out on him. He's only been there one year. Okay, jury out on Norval. So we we won't talk about it anymore. Chip Kelly uh, struggled at UCLA. I think he started having some success late, but uh, not so much. What does the actual facts tell you there, Mister Computer? Well, all those Pac-12 guys only played you know like four games, yeah. so it's hard to say that. that well, he played seven games, three and nine, four and eight, three and four. There again, <laughs> Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly is argument one. Bobby Petrino is argument two going back of, 
Like when you say, just pay Coach X $10 million a year, sometimes Coach X is not so hot the next time around. Yep, yep. Uh, so, and Urban Meyer's in the NFL. So, I mean, there, there's not any, you know, there's, there's just not anybody that tells you this guy is uh, a no brainer. Uh, I would question that person's brain, right? Like, it's okay. so, no such thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Little House, watching that with my daughter all the time, right? I've I mentioned that several times in this podcast. I, w- I just before recording, I was watching an episode and Pa uh, was talking to Almanzo. And Almanzo said he was positive about something, and and Pa said positive is just wrong at the top of your voice. So there you go, wisdom from the 1970s and uh, Charles Ingalls there. Uh, Matt Campbell, he's a hit, right? Yeah, Matt Campbell. Uh, if if this was the first time we were making a change, uh, if this was 2000, you know, if we we took Matt Campbell and put him in 2008. He'd be at the top of our list, boy. But, um, yeah, I don't think he's leaving Iowa State to come to Tennessee. Uh, and, you know, there's there that may be a longer list than just Iowa State. Right. And, again, you know, we're, we're really just looking for what kinds of qualities of, of guys we're looking for. Uh, so he's, you know, a head coach, major conference. Um, and second go around, I think one thing that's important about Matt Campbell, this is true for Butch Jones too, though, uh, the whole Butch Jones conversation has got to also include that he followed Brian Kelly and yeah. that he inherited a great situation from Brian Kelly twice and did not improve that situation um, either time. But uh, Matt Campbell was also good at Toledo. He was at Toledo uh, for four years, um, won the Mac twice, uh, and now has been good at Iowa State. He was three and nine the first year, but eight and five, eight and five, seven and six, nine and three, and won the Fiesta Bowl this year at Iowa State. So um, I appreciate about guys like Matt Campbell. You got a, just a, a more diverse sample size. He was good at Toledo too. Uh, and, and so, you know, anytime you can get a head coach that's been at multiple stops and, and made that place better more than once uh, or made a place better more than once, I think that's, that's, a, that's a great sign. All right. Um, Jeff Brom. No Jeff Brom, uh, some of us, uh, I think, would still really enjoy the idea of, of Jeff Brom. Uh, their defense, you know, he's at Purdue. Their defense uh, has struggled recently. I, I, I believe that he misfired on a defensive coordinator hire. Uh, and they only played they were two and four this year. They only played six games. Okay. Uh, Brom, excellent at Western Kentucky. Uh, and then Purdue seven and six, six and seven, four and eight, two and four this year. So um, I'm putting him down as a miss. Sorry. Yeah. I, again, maybe maybe not a miss. Uh, jury's still out. Certainly at Purdue, but at Tennessee, that would be a miss. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Willie Taggart got fired. Yeah, that's uh, a miss. Jimbo Fisher, that's a win. Yeah. Um, again, if you're going to get in the let's pay the huge dollar bills amounts. Um, Former national champion. Okay. Um, they look good Ex- this year. You, you excellent had, season. You, credit Joel had Texas A&M pegged uh, for months all year and got that right. It was the schedule. They had an easy schedule the whole way. Even even the change schedule wasn't wasn't bad. Um, Charlie Strong, how, how has he done since 2017? Charlie Strong uh, is uh, – he may be going somewhere else. He was a Butch Jones situation in Alabama. 
Um, okay, so he was not even a coach. South Florida, the first year he was 10-2. and two. That's the same year that Central Florida was was that that game. Central Florida against South Florida was a great game. But since then, seven and six, four and eight, and fired in nineteen. Had a Butch Jones role at Alabama this year. I have an idea. I'm, I'm going to start calling the Legion of of uh, Saban assistants um, Alabama interns, just to dissuade people from going over there. So join me, join me. He may also be completing that. Uh, pairing i uh you may be going with urban meyer to jacksonville oh really you so can just transition from uh, i would assume he's gonna have a larger role with jacksonville than he did at alabama for one year <laughs> yeah probably so um uh bobby petrino uh where is he even at what's he been doing what a great question i don't know the answer to that question let's find out in the sure things of days past uh he's at missouri state right now 59 years old bobby petrino do they have motorcycles uh, there <laughs> sorry I'm sure i'm sure they got that's an idiot optimist line right we got plenty of motorcycles and good looking women in east tennessee um back at louisville he was all right first four years then two and eight in uh in 2018 at louisville no lamar jackson and so on and so forth okay so miss three at the missouri valley Missouri State Bears. Justin Fuente, kind of meh at Virginia Tech, right? Well, that his situation here, I, I live right down the road from there, and um, he's won. I mean, now now he probably has the hottest seat going in. It would have been Pruitt, but now he's probably the hottest seat going into next year. Five different quarterbacks in five years, um, and that – uh, is just a that's that's a bad recipe. So um, there's a lot of unhappiness with him here, uh, and and they're trying to get that figured out. But uh, I use Fuente as an example of, you know, Tennessee fans, especially if you're listening to this in the western part of the state, you know how bad Memphis was, and he made Memphis great. And when Virginia Tech hired him, I thought, man, they got a sure thing. And it's you were just, positive. All right, uh, Mike Leach. Uh, see, this is a really interesting case study here because he was good at Washington State. Um, and then he comes and he sets a record, an SEC record. The guy's going to blow up the conference for one game, and then he just tanks. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm not sure that, that Mike Leach is, is long for uh... – for anywhere they did uh, they looked good against mizzou in the in a regular season finale uh, but between that win and the opening win against lsu the only team they beat was vanderbilt um, so okay I'm, I'm gonna put him as miss too pj fleck probably the boat. um he's good right obviously great last year you know generationally great uh at minnesota um, they're another one this year that I just kind of, they weren't good enough to be on the radar. Um, three and four this year, you know, didn't play a lot of games, 11 and two last year. He's another one at Western Michigan. He was great at Western Michigan. So like you had more data on him, um, in that moment. So, um, uh, he, I mean, this year's a weird year at Minnesota. He was five and seven, seven and six, then 11 and two won the Outback Bowl, finished 10th in the country. In the playoff, they were undefeated for a long time last year uh, before they lost late in the year. So, uh, 
You know, okay. I would put him to the positive side of meh. <laughs> okay. However, we're saying that. Right. And we don't really, I mean, we, the point is made in this of like, we don't really get to say meh about anybody these days. Yeah. You know, that's true. There were Dan Mullen three years ago, there were Tennessee fans that, that would have poo pooed him. Yeah. And uh, that was a bad idea then. But anyway. All right. Lane Kiffin, he's, he's, he's a hit, right? I think he's a, he's a hit at Ole Miss. Let, let me just say, I don't think that, uh, you know, already, now that we're, I think most fans understand Hugh Freeze is not coming here. There are some that are like, well, Kiffin, he might come back. Like, I don't, I don't think that will happen. So let me say this before that moves into the realm of the weird or whatever. I think Kiffin is slightly overrated. Um, he was at, at Florida Atlantic. He was certainly overrated after the first year. Um, Kiffin is fun. We know this. Kiffin is fun, and he keeps you in the conversation, and they score a lot of points. And maybe at Ole Miss, um, that is, uh, you know, more than enough. He was 5-5 five and five this year. His second year at Florida Atlantic, he was 5-7. and seven. So I think Kiffin, is, Kiffin is, is a great offensive mind. I think Kiffin has potential to be a, a good coach. But I'm not quite sure that he's so good that we should be clamoring over, you know, those kinds of things. I think he's slightly overrated. But okay. Five and five in one year at Ole Miss. Played Alabama as well as anybody did. Um, you know. All right. I'm going to go through the rest of these quick because I think they're all just misses. Uh, Les Miles. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Joe, Joe no. Moorhead got fired. Chad Morris right. got fired. Um, Mike Bobo. Um, what's he done since 2017? I know he was, what, OC at uh, SC uh, this year? OC at South Carolina. And I think Beamer uh, – <clears throat> uh, no, he's back at Auburn now, right, with – with uh, Harson. With Harson. yeah. So, so. What, he was a head coach at, at some point during that time, wasn't he? Uh, he was at Colorado State, yeah. And, and, Did he get uh, fired? Seven and six, seven and six, seven and six, three and nine, four and eight. Fired. Okay, yeah, so must have been fired if he was going to be OC at uh, South Carolina. Uh, DJ Durkin. Scandal uh, at Maryland? I think DJ Durkin is some off-the-field trouble kinds of situations. Um, okay. That uh, there was a player that died in practice. Yeah. Uh, and, and all that good stuff, so... Okay, uh, so that leaves uh, Mullen, basically sort of a tier one dude. Yep. Um, maybe Campbell. Matt Campbell for sure. Yep. Also. All right, those two guys, Owen Fisher. Um, yep. and, and then we got uh, Fleck and Kiffin as sort of a second tier. So those are the guys that we wanted back in 2017 that – had we gotten, we probably would have been happy with. Um, the other guys, the other 18 guys on that list, I don't know how many it is, but it's something like that. Um, we would have been just disappointed again. Um, so what about Mullen, Campbell, Fisher? What do they all have in common? They were head coaches, major conferences. Right. Um I mean, Jim. I think Jimbo is his own category, right? Because he national he, championship, yeah, yeah, national championship, and still at Florida State, and they just paid what they 
thought it took um, to, to get him from there. And he probably was ready to go. So I, I put Jimbo in a separate conversation. Um, Dan Mullen, uh, I think was, was last time we talked about is Dan Mullen one uh, B or, or one C if you want to include Gruden, is he one B with Scott Frost being one A or is he, is he two uh, A and um you know, I, I think some of that we talked about before is bad luck that the Florida job was open at the same time ours was and all that stuff. But I think Mullen's track record, he'd been at Mississippi State for such a long time. You had you had so much data to feel like you could make an informed decision about him. And what he did with quarterbacks now looks even better that we've seen what he did with Kyle Trask, who, you know, wasn't even supposed to be before Felipe Franks got hurt, he wasn't even supposed to be the guy. So um, I think if you look back at Mullen now, a quarterback, offense, long track record at a program over a long period of time where it was, it was, it was sustainable progress. Um, and that's, that's what you're getting from Campbell at Iowa State now is he's been there long enough and built a thing to sustain a level of um, – Iowa State's not good now and going to go back to being four and eight next year. I think that sustainable progress is is worth a lot. Um, it's interesting, you you know, um, at the time we thought that Chad Morris and Joe Moorhead were the two biggest quote unquote failures in that group. But man, it would have worked out a lot better for Tennessee if if it's hard to say in a pandemic year, but it would have worked out a lot better for Tennessee if Jeremy Pruitt after two years. If, if you just looked at him like Chad Morris after two years, if Tennessee doesn't go on that winning streak at the end of last year and you just say, okay, this guy isn't it. And maybe we could have said, you know what? That last coaching search was screwy and we as fans had a, I've written this, had a part in it and we should take responsibility. And we were always going to hire somebody that probably wasn't ready for this job and he's not it. And let's just go in a different direction. Who knows who they would have hired last year? Who knows what the pandemic, how that would have worked out or not worked out, but Man, that Tennessee would have been in a much better situation right now if if Pruitt had gone that direction. But to his credit, they won eight games in a row. Um, so, but man, you'd certainly rather at least Arkansas. You'd much rather be Arkansas right now than, than be Tennessee. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, what they have in common then? Uh, lots of data, track record of success. You don't want somebody who just had a good year, or maybe even a good year or two. Um, but some extended success, and all three of these guys, at least, all had head coaching experience in a major uh, conference. Yeah, and I will go. I'm looking at this. I uh, this is from uh, Marty Lawrence on Twitter, um, one of the college football advanced stats groups um, that I follow. Tweeted it, and I put it in a post I wrote in December. It's this chart with SP Plus improvement and all these coaches uh, on it that talks about did you did you improve both your first program and your second program um and this is where butch jones uh, it, it kind of jumps out on this chart because his record at cincinnati was good but he did not improve them over brian kelly and in hindsight that looks bad when to me what's most notable about this chart is the guys that you would have thought are there, there are just as many guys that you would have thought are sure things justin fuente Charlie Strong at Texas, Scott Frost, 
that were great the first time around. Fuente at Memphis, Strong at Louisville, um, Frost at UCF. But in their bigger jump, they didn't do it. There's just as many of those guys as there are of Dan Mullen, uh, Matt Campbell, uh, James Franklin, who you know were great at Mississippi State and Toledo and Vanderbilt, and then jumped and now have been great at Florida and Iowa State and and Penn State. So, um, so you, you just never know. But that that chart is um, is helpful uh, to me in kind of trying to figure things out uh, about you know, can you get somebody that made a sustained improvement over X. This is a big question about Jamie Chadwell. This year they were terrific. That's one year, one you know, one data point. How do guys improve year over year versus not just the last year they inherited, but the whole program coming in before them? So um, somebody like Billy Napier looks really good in that kind of comparison. Uh, to be fair, if anybody's looking this up, like no one looks better in that comparison than Hugh Freeze, who is a great coach on the field, just is not going to be hireable for Tennessee in that situation. So, um, help me figure this out. Uh, what, what was Campbell's job before Iowa State, you said? He was at Toledo. Okay, so he, he made a jump. Uh, and, and when did he – where was he in 2017? He was still at Iowa – he was Iowa State at that point, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, sorry, I just searched for Matt Toledo. That's the kind of day I'm having. <laughs> Matt Campbell <laughs> – <laughs> Matt Toledo is not anyone uh, as far as uh, as we know. Uh, Matt Campbell was at Toledo for four years, um, and then he jumped to Iowa State in 16. He went three and nine the first year, then eight and five, eight and five, seven and six, nine and three this year. Okay. All right, so let, let's look at uh, the candidates then. Um you're probably more uh, well-versed in, in what these are. Uh, the ones off the top of my head uh, are uh, Chadwell at uh, Coastal Carolina, Billy Napier at uh, Louisiana, um, and, you know, who else? I mean, everybody mentions Hugh Freeze. And, by the way, I, I'm not sure that uh, uh, a lot of the fans heard <laughs> heard the message. It might have been a little too subtle for, for some because they're still talking, uh, but uh, so yeah. I, who, who else is on the list? I I, I did read uh, Bruce Feldman's uh, list uh, in the Athletic, and it had a whole bunch of names that I had not heard before. But again, like you said, I you know we're we're swimming in different waters now, and and I really liked uh, your point uh, in the post that's uh, on the on the top of the blog right now um, that <laughs> it's really hard to let go of the past. And, you know, um, we, we, we're not going to get some of these guys. Um, so have to kind of adjust expectations uh, at that point. So, so who are the guys do you think that are at the top of the list and how do you think they compare on this, uh, on this criteria? It, or is there anybody out there that actually meets the criteria that we can get? So I would say um, because of where we are, and it's not just me saying this, I think Feldman and, and these other guys that are, that are going to put out a hot board are all going to agree on this. Like if you have a college football opening and you pay what Tennessee is willing to pay, uh, 
you should call Matt Campbell and you should call Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, but I, those guys, I just, they're not coming here. Um, I, I, one, I would, you know, those are Midwestern big 10, big 12 guys who, who, uh, you know, um, their roots are there, but I wouldn't leave Iowa state or Cincinnati to come to Tennessee. Uh, so I don't include those. Uh, I mean, yeah, you can call them, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't start there. Um, uh, to me, I, I would put them in groups. Um, I would start with the, uh, Billy Napier, um, is at Louisiana. Uh, Stephen Godfrey wrote a, a good piece when South Carolina was doing their coaching search to talk about that. Uh, ev- everybody that you hire is either a Beamer or a Chadwell, a Shane Beamer that South Carolina hired or a Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina to say that it's either, um, Shane Beamer is a, a, a CEO type, uh, come up through the ranks in power five, been around lots of different places. And let's see now if he's going to get his, you know, he's going to get his shot. He's going to bring in his guys and do all that stuff with his connections and his relationships. He knows how to work the system. He knows how to work the boosters, all that stuff. Um, or Jamie Chadwell, who is very much outside the system, but is a play caller schematics, you know, took an up and comer up to the brink now can we take this outsider and make him work in the sec world with recruiting and boosters and all that stuff and what stephen godfrey pointed out in that piece is that billy napier actually is both um napier was an assistant uh, with Dabo at clemson early on uh, he got fired as the offensive coordinator in Dabo's second year like 2011 um and then he was at alabama on saban staff for a long time the uh when uh kiffin left they they went to Sarkeesian instead of him as the offensive coordinator. So he left and went to Arizona state as the OC. And then now he's been at Louisiana, formerly Louisiana Lafayette, the raging Cajuns uh, for the last three years. So uh, Napier has the, the dual background. He's been the power five assistant, not just a power five assistant. He was an assistant at Clemson and at Alabama. He was a big recruiter. He's involved in a lot of those Clemson, the early Clemson classes with Dabo that kind of raised their game. He's done all that stuff. But now also the last three years, he's been at, uh, at Louisiana Lafayette and taken them. Um, he's only, this is only his first head coaching job. So he's not going to show up on that chart twice, but what he inherited, um, he has greatly improved. Um, he took over three years ago, um, Mark Hudspeth, whose name I always misspell, was the previous coach there. Um, and in the last three years at Louisiana, he went four and eight, six and seven, and five and seven. Napier showed up and went seven and seven, but actually won the division the, the first year. Then he went 11 and three last year, and then he went 10 and one this year um, and, and only got beat by uh, Coastal Carolina. So if you do, like, what's in that chart? If you compare. Here's Louisiana in SP plus the last three years that Napier has been there and compared to the three years before he got there, he looks real good. And he's from Cookville. He was born in Cookville, Tennessee. He grew up in North Georgia. He knows Tennessee. So like before all this happened with the investigation, one thing I said is if Hugh Freeze didn't exist, then Napier would be the guy that would be like, look at this guy. He's got connections to Tennessee. Look at what he's done. He's been these other places. Freeze is keeping us from being excited about this guy. So, I mean, he seems like a natural fit in all these ways. Question is, would he take this job now? 
I know he's the coach at Louisiana, and it seems ridiculous to say the coach at Louisiana wouldn't take the job at Tennessee, but he's been very patient. I mean, he was involved at South Carolina. He was involved at Auburn. He didn't take either of those jobs. If you're not going to take this job, um, where's he trying to get to? You know, is he trying to get to Florida? If Dan Mullen does go to the NFL one day, is, is he waiting on Ed Orgeron to blow himself up at, at LSU? Who knows? So literally, uh, I, I would start with Napier, but I would I would include him there. Does he want this job? Um, I know he has natural connections and all that stuff. I think he's there. Would he want this job? Jamie Chadwell is the other person in that conversation. Coastal Carolina, AP Coach of the Year. Uh, terrific season that they had. Um, and they were improved uh, in his in his previous, uh, in, in I think what was year two for him there uh, at Coastal. Um, but Chadwell has never, ever been involved in a Power 5 program. He came up through Division II. Um, then he was at Charleston Southern. Uh, he was the interim at Coastal for a year when I think the, the coach had health problems. And then he became the head coach in 19. He went 5-7, and seven, which was an improvement for them his first year. And then they were 11-1 and one this year. Uh, he's from Anderson County. He played at ETSU. His son's name is Heath. Like, he's got lots of Tennessee reasons. And I, I think that he at least seems more likely to say yes to the job than Billy Napier does. I think Jamie Chadwell makes like 200 grand a year. Like, like he's coastal Carolina is not high on the list. So um, you got those two guys that I would kind of put as, all right, here's one conversation. Um, the, these two guys, Napier far, just more data, more time. And he's got power five experience. Chadwell, much more of an outsider. Um, and so he knows Tennessee because he's from here, but he's never been on staff at a power five school. So like he doesn't, he doesn't, and he played at ETSU. So he doesn't know that piece of it, you know? Um, so I would put those two guys in one group. You want to talk about them some Joel, or you want me to keep going on? No, keep going. You yeah. Keep going. Yeah. All right. Group two is, Hey, I just got fired. That's Gus Malzahn and Tom Herman, right? Gus Malzahn uh, seems certainly not coming here if Kevin Steele is is still around. Um, so that, you know, does Gus Malzahn, how bad does he want to jump right back into this? Um, does he want to jump right back into it right now? Does he want to jump right back into it if there's NCAA stuff going on? I'm not so sure about that. Um, Malzahn... Uh, you know, his offense is not what it was in, in uh, 2013 for sure. So, and there's, with any of these guys that have been fired, your question becomes, what did they learn, right? Like Butch Jones at Arkansas State, did he, what did he learn? Is he going to be better this time around? Or do they tell themselves because a large ego certainly has to come with this job, I assume, that something else is a problem and there's nothing else for me to learn or no other way for me to get better. So, Gus Malzahn, if he would say yes, uh, that seems like a, a, something you'd do if you're Tennessee, is hire him. And, um, you know, he his winning percentage is inflated by his very first year, no doubt. Uh, but it's still somebody that won two-thirds of their game. Tennessee's a school that that's basically our historical winning percentage. Auburn was in a national championship hunt in 2017. That's not that long ago. Um, they beat Alabama in 2019. So if Gus is interested, then, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a conversation you have if you're Tennessee. Tom Herman at Texas played the Butch Jones game of, 
let's make every game a close game. And they won some of them and they lost some of them. And that, uh, I would be worried about that just from the perspective of what did he learn? You know, can Tom Herman, the booster situation and the cultural influence and all that stuff would certainly be less at Tennessee than at Texas. But, um, you know, uh, if, if he can continue to learn and grow as a coach and not be somebody that's just going to get us stuck on the treadmill. Cause if you look at SP plus his teams were, were slightly better every year, but not never significantly better just an SP plus compared to Charlie Strong's last team. Now they won more games. They won more close games. They had a great, you know, they beat Georgia in the sugar bowl a couple years ago, but uh, you know, he, Tom Herman had the, the close game itis. And I would, I would be curious about that because if you're Texas in the big 12, you shouldn't be having close game itis in year three, right? You should have better players. You do have better players. So you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. So you got Napier and Chadwell. I use my hands. Joel can see me. You can't yes, hear me. Yet. It's very helpful. Yeah. Napier, Chadwell, Malzon, Tom Herman. Hey, I just got fired. Um, you know, all, all those guys would be point I made in the piece for all the ways we can feel like, Oh, you know, Tennessee, this, this is going to be worse. Lane Kiffin was five and 15 with the Raiders when Tennessee hired him. Now he was a great offensive coordinator at USC, but you know, Kiffin Dooley, certainly four and eight at Louisiana tech. I still can't believe that happened. Um, Butch Jones, good record, but not as good as what he inherited. And, and Jeremy Pruitt had never done it before. Philip Fulmer had never done it before. So if you hire Napier, Napier's got the Napier would have the most proven head coaching resume of anyone on a college level of anyone Tennessee hired since Johnny Majors. That would certainly be true of Gus Malzahn or uh, or of Tom Herman. Um, Chadwell need more data. Um, so you got those four guys. Um, you want me to keep going? You want to yeah, jump in here? Let, let me uh, let me just break in here real quick. Um, and we can come back to that if you still got more to say. But I also wanted to bring up. We, we got this shift in uh, college football that's happening, too, um, with offenses. Uh, you know, it, it, it was just a couple of years ago that defense always won championships, right? Yep. Um, and now, all of a sudden, defenses can't stop anybody uh, because you got guys like Sarkeesian, you, you got Ohio State, you got Clemson, they're just rolling up points. Um and just as that's happening, Tennessee hires a defensive-minded coach, you know, who, who's going to try to do what he did at Alabama, which Alabama's not doing anymore, <laughs> right? So uh, with that in mind, do you hire a, an offensive-minded coach because that's the trend, or are you already too late? Because we've been chasing for years, you know. So what are your thoughts on, on that? No, I think it's a good point. I, this is one, if it ends up being Jamie Chadwell, one argument that would be made is, and we've written about this, I linked to the piece we wrote about at midseason today, Tennessee is playing the same game as the other six teams in the top half of the SEC. They're just playing it worse, right? The the Let's recruit all the superstar talent and all that stuff and run – basically pro-style stuff, but they're trying to beat Florida and Georgia as a lesser version of Florida and Georgia. Yeah, Chadwell would give you some option stuff if he runs the same stuff as Tennessee. He's running at Coastal. 
he gives you some, some option stuff. You would, you would have a chance to win more certainly than Jeremy Pruitt or, or Jim Chaney because of scheme and uniqueness, which is a great way. And lots of people make this point. It's a great way to help close your talent gap. If, if you've got a more unique scheme now, that kind of scheme if, is Tennessee going to be able to recruit the way that the decision makers at Tennessee, I think rightfully know and believe you have to recruit to this level to win at Tennessee. The risk with Jamie Chadwell or a coach like that is you hire somebody that runs a unique system. They fall off in recruiting because, you know, as a stud quarterback may not want to come play in that system or a stud wide receiver, you know, whatever the case may be. And then the system doesn't work. And then, you know, it's why we say it can always get worse. If you're trying to hire again in three years and now you got no, you know, you got no five stars on your team, you got that sort of stuff, and you've been taking a beating, this is how you turn into, uh, you know, Kentucky pre-Mark Stoops. This is how you turn into one of those programs where if you mess it up this time in that way where you don't still keep the talent level in that blue chip conversation – that could be bad. So that's a risk with a guy like Chadwell, but an advantage could be you scheme it up a little better and try to do it more. I think Napier, um, I didn't watch Louisiana enough, but he's been around those programs as they evolved offensively, both Clemson and Alabama, I think enough to know. With Gus Malzahn, that'd be a question, right? How does how has Gus evolved or failed to evolve in the last you know four or five years? What would he learn uh, about that? So, yeah, it's, it's a very valid question for sure. All right. Uh, we're uh, over, well over an hour, I think, here. So we probably ought to get going unless you have some short snippets on the rest of the candidates. I have nothing short here. Uh, all I would say <laughs> is this. There's, a, there's another group um, – Doug Marone was talked about when Fulmer was still around. He was an assistant coach here with Fulmer. Marone was a coach at Jacksonville. They just went one. They were tanking. They went one and 15. They fired him this year. But he almost made the Super Bowl a few years ago. So maybe Marone's still a possibility, but I, I'm not sure. The other tier that I would talk about is the we're scorched earth and we need help tier. That's Bill O'Brien that went to Penn State after Paterno. He was with the Houston Texans the last seven years. Um had a really good run in Houston until they made him general manager, and he was a ter—he was terrible at that job. Uh, so don't make him your general manager of your NFL team. He got fired after an 0-4 start this year, but he was—he was good at Penn State and good at Houston for the first six years he was there. Bill O'Brien would be a guy that you look at like that. Bill Clark at UAB. If ten, the athletic director at UAB is Mark Ingram, who was the long snapper at Tennessee back in the glory days of the '90s, uh, so. Mark Ingram as the athletic director will get some, some conversation. And if Tennessee hires him to be the athletic director, then that's a natural connection. Those two guys helped get UA, you know, UAB canceled their football program. And Bill Clark, who uh, is, has been there and gotten it back off the ground. They're not just off the ground. They win. Um, he was in conversation for, for the Auburn job and all that stuff. So, Bill Clark is one you may look at. If, if his name gets involved, that's a, hey, we're really in trouble, and, and what do we do? Will Healy uh, Will Healy is younger than I am. I don't know how I feel about that. but uh, <laughs> That happens uh, more and more, by the way. Yeah, that's what I'm learning. Uh, yeah. Healy got a, a, you know, a huge turnaround at Austin Peay. 
on the lower level. And then he's at Charlotte now uh, and, and has won games there the last two years. So that tier, um, Bill O'Brien was going to be Alabama's offensive coordinator before today. So he may still be Alabama's offensive coordinator. He may have no interest in this job, but um, watch that, you know, watch and see if he's, if something official is announced with him as Alabama's new offensive coordinator, or if he hangs out and wants to interview for this job. Again, he walked into that situation at Penn state um, and, and had two good years there before he went off to the NFL. Doug Marone, uh, who I talked about, he did that at Syracuse, obviously not the scandal, but Syracuse was horrifically bad uh, after Paul Pasqualoni when they moved on to Greg Robinson and Marone went in there and, and won some games and did a good job. So if we get to that tier, that is the some version of we've been turned down and or the decision makers involved think that we are a total reclamation project. And if that's the case, then those guys are good at that. Uh, and and that would just be where we are. So um so we'll see. Again, I, I talk about patience and all that stuff. Hey, maybe Gus Malzahn, you know, picks up the phone and, and wants an interview tomorrow, and that might change the narrative. Again, if they could get Napier, uh, I think that would be such a huge win. I just don't know if he would take the job anymore. Um, so that's that's kind of that's that's where we're at uh, on on all that. It's still a group of guys that that have done good things uh, that that have won games as head coaches in places and showed sustainable progress. I think in all those cases, there's just, you know, there's still never any guarantees. Well, you have saved uh, some portion of, of the buyout. So, you know, uh, you do have some ammunition to, uh, uh, to make somebody want a job that he might not otherwise want. Um, we shall see about that. And, you know, honestly, I think probably to be a successful football coach or, you know, maybe just any sports dude, you have a lot of confidence and you think, I don't care if if nobody else can do it, I can do it, you know. So maybe, you know, maybe we'll be surprised. Would be nice. It would would Uh, be nice. It would be nice to be surprised a different way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Meantime, shout out to Rick Barnes and the number six Tennessee basketball balls. Yes, we're uh, we're uh, playing Florida tomorrow. Um, uh, I haven't seen the line, but uh, did the four factors forecast this morning, and uh, Ken Palm has us by three. But my uh, the uh, the hoops uh, Statsy preview machine is beginning to uh, uh, start it beat it beat its chest a little bit, and. Uh, Got the uh, got the last game within one point, even though it was way off the spread, and it says uh, I don't know what did it say thirteen points, I don't remember what I wrote this morning, but more than three, so should be okay tomorrow night, and they're always fun to watch. Um, check them out. We will spend more time with them uh, shortly. It's just hey, stuff happened today, so we we had to we had to talk about stuff. So anyway, that is going to do it for uh, this episode of the Game Day at Rocket Dot Podcast. Uh, we're so late that I'm not even going to ask you to leave a review. Plus, you're probably you know angry from the day, and you don't you, you don't drink and drive. You don't review angry, so never mind. You can't do that here. Thanks for listening to 90 minutes of this. You made it all the way through. <laughs> Hopefully, it helped. And you yeah. know, if you need if you, if you need need some extra help, Brant Hansen is there to help. 
Uh, so go, go look him up. All right, so for uh, Will Shelton, I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and this has been the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast. <laughs>